Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Knoll Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler, Florida State beat writer, the Tallahassee Democrat, here with Antoine Staley. Antoine, how's it going? Uh, good, man. A lot of good things are happening and starting to get to a really busy season for both of us, so... It's definitely a good time to be a Florida State sports fan in a lot of different capacities. Yeah, I guess we're we're talking now. I guess Thursday morning to kind of uh, contextualize this after a uh, a late night last night, having to stay up. I mean, it's uh, uh, I, I, it was a nine o'clock start against Boston College, and and truthfully, a game that went the way I mean everyone thought it would. There were definite questions about just Boston College's depth and how much of a struggle they would have keeping up with Florida State. And for the second straight year, Florida State has its senior day game against Boston College, and it's a comfortable win that positions the team now one win away from a, from another ACC championship. Yeah, and you assume they take care of business against Notre Dame. I know it's on the road. Anything can happen there. Uh, obviously, I think she plays much better uh, in the Tucker Center than they do on the road, but this is definitely a game that I feel like everybody believes they're going to win against a really uh, inferior Notre Dame team. And, they should lock up the ACC championship for the second straight year and also head in the the Greensboro next weekend with a number one seed. And uh, we'll see what happens after that. But, yeah, I definitely think uh, it's looking good for Florida State. And um, also you talk about NCAA tournament seeding, which I'm sure we'll talk about too as well. I actually spoke with Joe Lenardi um, yesterday too. So we'll definitely uh, touch on that, I'm sure, throughout the uh, coming weeks or even today, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was a... uh... It all around, I would say it was a very encouraging game for FSU. Obviously, it wasn't a game the Boston College one they had to sweat out whatsoever. Boston College came out shooting, and Florida State, I mean, pretty quickly distanced themselves and really coasted and didn't have to use its high leverage players kind of a lot of minutes in the in the second half. They got to kind of, I mean, the walk ons got to start and finish the game, which I'm sure was a special moment for those guys. But uh, uh, some encouraging signs. I mean, MJ Walker. I know he was questionable. He said, I mean, he still hasn't practiced since before the pit game, which is, I mean, what, a week and a half going on two weeks now. That was two Saturdays ago. And so, I mean, that's it's a little discouraging, but he definitely looked a lot more comfortable last night. It was more, I mean, he didn't do a lot of the attack in the basket. It was a lot of catch and shoot, but, I mean, he hit six threes. So he may have been questionable kind of leading up to the game, but he, he definitely looked much healthier, I would say. It seemed like it at least. Maybe he was run on adrenaline, but that's encouraging for FSU going forward. They didn't have Malik Osborne. I know Leonard Hamilton said he's optimistic that he might might be able to get him to play Saturday. I mean, he's someone who may not be starting this year, but would be critical to their uh, FSU's success. I mean, I think you look at the success Boston College had on the boards last night, and some of that I think is because of not having Osborne. I mean, obviously, yeah, Boston College did well on the boards. They out-rebounded FSU. I think they wrangled 14 or so offensive rebounds. FSU turned it over 17 times. I mean, they were some of the same problems that showed up in the North Carolina game, and that's uh, it's a little troubling. Boston College wasn't a team that's equipped to take care of that, like to, to, to take advantage of that. But I, seeing the same things two games in a row, I, I guess how much does that concern you? I, it does. Um, I, I think, uh, well, you, uh, not to self-promote, but I guess we could a little bit since it's our podcast. Uh, I ended up doing a uh, stats article to kind of break down, just compare the FSU's team last year, really to this year's team and how they're holding up. Offensively, this is a much better team across the board for the most part. Uh, I think uh, you look at turnovers, I definitely think that's an issue. Defense isn't nearly as good hitting on all cylinders like, like it was last year, but it's not it's – not, necessarily terrible but it's definitely um a little bit concerning too i am worried about the turnovers too as well especially when you start playing teams that are much better and i think um you worry you think he's a little bit concerned about how really good is this florida state team like do we really know i think we i think they're a good team 
but how good are they? How far do you think they can go? Uh, I think that's still a valid question. Um, I, like I said, I spoke to Joe Lenardi about that, and he, he believes they're a really good team, too. Right now, he has them as the number three seed in the tournament, which he said, like, according to him, that's probably about where they're going to stand no matter what, unless something were crazy were to happen, and then they could get a two. Them getting a one is probably highly unlikely, just simply because it's so top-heavy in, the, in uh, college basketball right now. And you got some other teams that have quality wins, too, as well. Uh, I know he has Kansas above Florida State, and I think that's mostly based on Kansas beating Baylor last week because Florida State doesn't have a win like that, and they're and we're not going to get a win like that at this point. But I definitely think um, it's encouraging if they can finish out win the ACC tournament, uh, obviously the regular season too as well, and number three seed. I don't think it's really that big of a deal for them to get. It's not really a big difference between a two and a three going into the tournament as opposed to it would be a three and a four. Then I definitely think that would be a bigger difference there, but I definitely think um, they just take care of business, set themselves up well, and, you know, you kind of see what happens as far as matchups. That's where it all comes down to, I believe, once the tournament gets started. Where are you bracketed in? Who's in your region of bracket? Well, it's all going to be the same in, in Indianapolis this year, but just kind of in your side of the bracket, and does the matchups hold up, which probably in a crazy year like this, I, I doubt it's going to, it's probably going to be the craziest tournament we've ever seen in our lifetime. So, yeah, I definitely think yeah, they just have to take care of business and try to work for what they can control. And I definitely think they're a team that at least, I think at least six, sweet 16. And then beyond that, well, it's just really going to determine uh, based on matchups. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you talked about the importance of the two, three distinction really not meaning a ton. And I mean, it's a, uh, you want to stay off that four line because the key to that is if you're on the four line or even the five line, not that I think Florida State could even fall that far at this point, even if they lost the Notre Dame game and their first game in the AC tournament, I just don't think they could fall to a five. But a four is, yeah, you've got to take on that one seed of which, I mean, I think the, it, it, we've talked earlier year about Baylor and Gonzaga. I think the conversation now, obviously Michigan had a pretty underwhelming game earlier this week against Illinois. But there seems like those three top-tier teams. I would say it seems like Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor are all those top-tier teams. And so I think the key of avoiding the four-line, if at all possible, so that you don't have to play your one seed until, if they even make it that far, the Elite Eight. And, and yes, there's a chance they could be in that fourth bracket with the ones, the other one seed, be it, I mean, what? It seems like Illinois is a contender for that. I think Alabama, I guess, is a contender for that, which is pretty wild to say so you could end up in there and then it's not as severe I don't think although those teams are all still very good but yeah I mean staying on the three seed line at very least if at all cost and I think I saw on Lunardi's update last night Florida State moved from I think the top four seed to the last three seed with their with their win so I mean yeah it's a it's important and yeah winning at Notre Dame a, a game that you're very much expected to win is a is important for kind of staying on that three seed line. Yeah, and I think you want to try to be as high. If you're going to be a three seed, try to be as high of a three seed as possible. That way, you get the weaker of the matchups too, that possibly. So yeah, I definitely think that that's the most important thing. You don't necessarily want to be the lowest three seed because then, in that case, you're kind of matching up against possible tougher opponents. But uh, I think in a year like this, uh, it's. It's hard. It's been hard uh, to judge maybe a team like a Florida State, too, because, you know, they had two separate COVID pauses. I know they played well in the ACC, but obviously the ACC isn't necessarily the big-time conference. It isn't necessarily as strong as it normally is, obviously, uh, with some down teams this year. Virginia kind of floundering a little bit of late, although, you know, I know there's, um, they've won some games recently, but... Yeah, it's just not as top-heavy as you know, you're accustomed to seeing. Obviously, Duke is down. North Carolina uh, is hanging around there. They're, they're in the tournament, I think, right now, but let a really lower seed. So, yeah, I definitely think just some of the depth of the conference. And also, you have a team, a conference like the Big Ten and the Big 12. Uh, definitely looking at those conferences, definitely have more, much more depth and much more, a, more of a mortarish road than you would see the ACC. So I definitely think it's still probably some skepticism, skepticism about Florida State and how really good they are. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we'll see this weekend. It's I mean, we could talk a, a little Notre Dame here. I mean, obviously it's a uh, – it's it's been tough sledding for uh, for Mike Bray. I mean, he's had a, – he's a been a longstanding coach there, had a decent amount of success, but he's he's kind of had a couple, a couple rough years in a row, and it feels like he's – on the the hot seat now 
entering this game. I mean, and, and Notre Dame comes in, they they've lost their last uh, four games. They lost to yeah. NC State last night, most recently at home. They lost at Boston College, which I mean, we saw kind of what that team looks like yeah. the other night, and uh, the other two, Syracuse and Louisville, both on the road, are a little more understandable, but. It doesn't seem like a team that is in great form right now, but I mean they weren't especially good last year, and Florida State needed a uh, a buzzer-beating layup from Trent Forrest to win there last year, and barely got out with the win at FSU last year in a home game at the Tucker Center. So I mean it's a I don't know if it's a, a matchup thing, and this team I think is worse than that team. They lose a guy like Matt Mooney. I mean he was remarkable for them. It's Florida State will be pretty heavily favored, especially for it being a road game, but I mean they still have to take care of business. Yeah, they do. And that and I, I think um having these opponents like a Boston College and also Notre Dame and you touched on it earlier, they kinda have some injuries right now. MJ Walker's not hundred percent, Malik Osborne is not hundred percent too. This kinda allows them to be able to kind of rest those guys or just monitor those guys and not necessarily push them at the end of the season when you're playing a, such a tough opponent too as well and trying to win a ACC championship but yeah I, I mean at the end of the day yeah I mean these teams want to win they they know Florida State the top they, they're getting at the top team in the ACC they're going to get everybody's best shot sometimes um, it looks like how it does against Boston College on Wednesday night other nights it might look you know like how I did against Georgia Tech or Clemson or whatever case may be. So, yeah, I expect uh, it's their last game of the season. Um, I assume they're going to probably come out with some energy, too, as well. I expect Florida State to win and probably win comfortably. But at the same time, would it surprise me to be a little bit closer than what some people might think? No, it wouldn't because, you know, these guys, they definitely want to go out on a high note, too, especially their seniors and uh, considering the bad season that they have, and they want to kind of salvage that in any way possible, at least get some momentum heading into the ACC tournament and what better way to do that at least to play well and possibly upset the number one team in the conference in Florida State yeah and it would be a uh, be a trademark win it'd be a the type of win that you know who knows if it'll come down to it but but could maybe save Mike Bray's job so I mean it, it, it Leonard Hamilton will hamp will, will really drill home that I mean, winning on the road in the ACC is hard. That's kind of a, a consistent preaching point of his. I thought it was interesting last night, kind of unprompted. He he brought up, I mean, how few people really get the chance to win one championship in a conference like the ACC, let alone two back-to-back. I mean, it was it's the kind of thing where I, he's not one who normally talks about the uh, – the stakes of something like that. It's kind of more he might touch on, well, we just got to worry about the next game. We can't worry about what's at stake, anything like that. But he, he didn't shy away from saying, unprompted, talking about, I mean, it, it means something. Getting to hang banners in consecutive years for winning what he called the the great the greatest basketball conference that's ever been assembled. And it's not the case this year. I would say that honor goes to the Big Ten this year. But, I mean, it's still, the talent in this conference is unbelievable. It's a... Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable what FSU is in position to do with all they had to replace, and I, 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 it won't be easy by any means. But yeah, I mean they're they're going to be favored to do it pretty comfortably. Yeah, when you look at some of the big names in the conference, they look they're still looked down upon. Even each year, I mean, you look at the preseason polls, uh, you look at every single year they get disrespected. I, I coming into the season, it was about Duke, North Carolina, Virginia. Uh, some of the other bits, like even you know, Syracuse. Even though I know, like I said, they weren't ranked high, but they step. They have a lot of history historically as a program. Louisville, Louisville was ranked pretty high too as well. And then you have Florida State, who I thought, and I asked MJ Walker this early on in the season, and the players know that they they know it's disrespect too. They understand that. ACC, I mean, the offices are in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I mean, it, it's a bias around. That I mean, around the program there in North Carolina, and I mean, you see it every year in the polls. And yet, you got who like Florida State that doesn't necessarily have the tradition, like a Duke or North Carolina that's long standing. And you got a guy like Leonard Hamilton that's come in and just really play revitalize the program and also have them competing at the same level as those schools. And it's not just for one year, um, like some people might have thought it was. It's been multiple multiple years and not only that you're turning out top talent you're getting top recruiting classes like Florida State has, has gotten and you're building something not only for um, 
next year, but also just, you know, consecutive years and just building a program that's going to last. You know, hopefully, uh, I know Hamilton got the extension. Like, his plan is probably to build it for whoever comes in and takes over after him and just, you know, keep that standing long tradition up and building it uh, to compete against the North Carolina. So hopefully they can, you know, get that same respect as a Duke and North Carolina eventually. But, yeah, I think you just see it every single year. I think it's remarkable what they've done uh, just year in and year out considering uh, the circumstances and, you know, like I say, people don't necessarily consider them uh, a top program, but yet here they are once again on the verge of winning another ACC championship and uh, heading into the NCAA tournament uh, on, on a good note as well. Yeah, I wonder if this isn't the year that changes somewhat just in terms of the perception, especially in like a preseason poll type thing, just because, I mean, my thing is... I. I somewhat understand where they were coming from last year, just with all FSU lost. I, I, I don't think it was indefensible. Yes, Leonard Hamilton has they, he has built his teams up pretty consistently of late, but with all they lost, to, to not be sure that they were a preseason top 25 team. And they're going to lose a decent amount this year. They're going to lose Scotty Barnes. They're going to lose MJ Walker. Possible they lose one or two other guys who may leave early. But with what they're bringing in, I just don't wonder if Florida State – isn't picked to win the ACC next year, which would be the first time that's ever happened. And I mean, I, I, I don't in front of me have what other teams are all bringing in, but I just, this is going to be a Florida State recruiting class adding to what they're going to bring back that's in line with a lot of what the Blue Bloods are landing. I mean, you look at, I mean, just guys like Matthew Cleveland, guys like Jalen Worley, guys like Caleb Mills, the Houston transfer, who was at the game last night kind of hanging out in the bench area. I mean, he, he was the AAC preseason player of the year this year before transferring from Houston. So I just don't wonder if it, I'll say this, if it doesn't change this year, I don't think I'd be hard pressed to think it ever will because it just, I don't know. I mean, the team that is in line to, and we'll see if they do, it probably bears mentioning, uh, Virginia Tech's still not playing. They're still in a COVID pause. So FSU could also clinch if Virginia loses at Louisville this weekend, which, I mean, Louisville could very well probably be favored in that game. I mean, who knows what will happen, but Louisville's had some success against Virginia, so it may be taken out of FSU's hands where FSU's result doesn't matter. So, But, I mean, a team that's in line to win the ACC for two years in a row and bring in a recruiting class like they're about to, if I mean, I, I just I think it might change this year. I think they have could be a top 10, top 15 preseason team and i think they could be picked to win the acc but i may be uh i could very well be wrong on that yeah i mean if they don't get ranked next year with everything they come in and then even if you lose guys like a uh, raekwon gray or let's say bolsa was to leave i still think you have a quality enough team a go along with that talent that's coming in to be a top 25 team like this is no excuse why this team should be ranked in the top 25 uh especially uh everything like i say you just said I, I, I thought it was, I thought they should have been ranked this year too. Like I thought it was just ridiculous. Just considering I know they lost uh, some top talent, two lottery picks, and Trent Forrest too as well. But you know you got a guy like Scotty Barnes, and you also got MJ Walker, who I feel like was going to come to his own and be one of the leading scorer, the leading scorer for the Seminoles this year. I just I thought they were at least a twenty five team. It might have been in, like in the twenties, but that's fine. I, I, just, I think I just thought it was disrespectful to have that have some other teams who. I didn't think that was as quality of a team, at least coming into the season, over a team like Florida State with everything they had had back. That's just my opinion. But, yeah, I just thought it was a little bit of a bias. Uh, but I, I don't know. But, yeah, I think it has to change, and hopefully it definitely does run sooner rather than later. It bears mentioning, I mean, talking timeline stuff for Saturday, FSU plays at Notre Dame at noon, and uh, Virginia and Louisville play at 4. So, I mean, FSU will play first. FSU controls its own destiny. If it wins, it doesn't have to scoreboard watch or anything. But And I doubt the team would be doing that. The team would be traveling back then. But I'm sure fans, I mean, if Florida State were to be upset in that game, which there's a non-zero chance, then uh, it would be some, I'm sure, stressful watching of that Virginia-Louisville game, kind of needing the, uh, the Cardinals to come through. Not that, again, I mean, ACC championship doesn't mean anything in terms of Florida State won't be a better seed by being the ACC champion. But it's I just the 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 I think the banner I mean Leonard Hamilton like I said talking about unprompted what that would mean and what's at stake I think speaks to how uh, ha, how important it is within the program. Yeah, 
I think you want to win either A, the regular season championship, or B, the, po- the conference tournament. Like, you want to do one or the other. It's very rare to do both. Some teams have done it. Um, I've seen some teams that do it, but it's very rare that you're able to do both. So you want to at least make sure you do one or the other, uh, at least heading into the tournament. This you can control. Like, they, they've done a good job. They, they're like one game away from winning. Now, what happens in the tournament in tournament setting uh, when you're playing every day? Who knows? But, yeah, you definitely at least want to win one of them to get some momentum there, uh, at least for the, at least for the NCAA tournament, too. That's why I feel like it's important to at least get one of those. If not, you know, you want to get both. But I think it's more important to at least get down to regular season. And then, you know, you kind of see what happens in that tournament setting. Yeah, I mean, we'll uh... – It'll be worth keeping an eye on. I mean, we'll definitely talk some uh, ACC tournament preview, recap Notre Dame early next week. Whatever happens, Florida State won't play until Thursday. I mean, at worst, Florida State will be the two seed if, if the worst happened and they lost Notre Dame and Virginia won. So they'll get that double bye. They won't have to play until Thursday of next week. And so we'll definitely uh, set the scene for that as we can and, I guess, prepare for uh, NCAA tournament. Who knows what that's going to look like coverage-wise. But we'll uh, – We'll have plenty more on that team at there, but for now we're uh, we're going to turn to uh, our interview. We we sat down, we caught up with uh, Freddie Stevenson, former Florida State fullback. I guess was here for the uh, the renaissance of the recent renaissance, I should say, of FSU football. The mid two thousands, his freshman year was the two thousand thirteen season, and uh, so we talked to him about. I mean, some cool stories from his time, just uh, memories of Florida State. We talked to him about, I guess, the importance of a complete spring, something Florida State didn't get uh, last year. And so we'll uh, have that interview here for you, and we'll talk to you on the other side. We are here with uh, former Florida State fullback Freddie Stevenson. Freddie, how's it going, man? Good. How y'all doing? Good, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's crazy to think about. what We're only about two, little less than three months removed from uh, from football. And here we go again, spring practice kicking off next week for uh, for Florida State. And it's a... Uh, it's it's quite a time. I mean, how, uh, Freddie? I guess I'll kind of start here because it's curious for someone who's gone through it. How how important? I mean, with a team that last year, especially with a new coaching staff, where they only got three spring practices. I mean, how big do you think that was? How much did that put them behind the eight ball? I'm sure it put everyone behind the eight ball, but especially them who were in there, kind of installing new schemes on both sides of the ball. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, spring is so critical to your success. You get to evaluate guys early on. Of course, things change in fall camp. It's a, a lot more serious, you know, spots are on the line. But spring, you get an idea of what guys can do. So it kind of gives you an idea of the way you can use them heading into fall camp. So heading into fall camp last season, I know they didn't really have that luxury so they're kind of trying to figure everything out on the fly so having this spring will be very important and i know they're happy to have it so freddie uh for somebody that hasn't been through it what just tell us the difference between the spring practices as opposed to the fall spring spring is tough but it's it's nowhere near fall camp because you know you're gonna have you only get 15 practices so it's spread it out so mentally you get to prepare yourself and Take your mind to a place where, all right, I get one or two practices and then I get a break so you can go all in versus fall campus every day, banging, banging, and it's mentally draining. So spring, I feel like guys should come in fresh and they should be able to mentally get through it. And that's why you see a lot of guys shine in spring that don't make it in fall camp because mentally fall camp just wears on some guys. So that's where I think guys will have a, a little advantage with spring, getting those breaks and things of that nature. You talk about that. I mean, it, how much does it being spaced out help things? I mean, does that help where, I mean, you can maybe give more effort because there's more kind of recovery time between practices? Yeah, without a doubt, you give more effort. And then if you have some injuries, now – you get a few extra days to recover and possibly get a chance to get back out on the field versus in fall camp. You got injuries and you try to push it the next day and now you set yourself back even further. Now you're out a week or two. So it definitely helps helps out a lot, a great deal, I believe. So yeah, talk about the relationships that you have with players that are coming in. Uh, just, how did that work for you, especially on some of the Florida State teams that you were on with all the talent? 
Um, spring or just in general? Yeah, just spring. Well, you can talk about both, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, the, the relationships, I, I, a lot of guys on the roster, it was, I think that's what truly made us successful. Of course, not on every team you you gonna have you're not gonna click with everybody, but I think what truly made us successful was in those years that we had our runs. It was truly like a family. If we don't get along, I don't care. It's like brothers. Somebody we we can talk trash to you, but can't nobody else say nothing about you. We are gonna ride about you, and that's just the type of relationship we had. A lot of guys do a lot of things, and we still communicate to this day. And I I made a tweet about that the other day. I got brothers teammates I met in college that are brothers for life and it truly was like that and when we got on that field all that's out the window it was like alright Freddie I love you but listen we coming out here to win we'll, we'll get over that we'll chop that up later but it's about business once we step into in between these lines and it's, a, it's hard for a lot of guys to separate the two you call a guy that you're close to on the field they take that personal like you got an issue with them, but no, it's like, man, we came here like, I want to see you be successful just like I want to be successful. So I'm going to hold you to a high standard when we get on this field. So guys being able to understand that and go out there on that field and know it's all about business once we walk in between these lines. So uh, my follow-up really to that is also talking about in the spring when you have newcomers coming in, where you, did that really start to form that type of bond during that period of time? Yeah, with newcomers, because Every time you got newcomers coming in the spring, you always want to embrace them. Like, when I came in, you kind of, as a freshman, you're like, dang, I don't know what college is going to be like. I don't know if that fresh, freshman initiation thing is real. But that wasn't that wasn't the case with us. Like, they, they looked out for us. They took us under their wings. And that it was passed down from generation to generation. And that's what we did with these younger guys. We took them under our wings because every year you're going to have a few young guys that make impacts you don't know who they are so you take them all under your wing teach them everything you can some guys process it faster than others and you never truly know who it's going to be but it's all love it was all love at florida state and that's something that's been passed down for generation to generation you were there i mean in the in the recent the recent heyday of fc football you talked about i guess how how heated those practices can get i guess with those teams, as talented as those mid two thousand teams that you were a part of were, I mean, we didn't get to watch a ton of practice. Honestly, we probably watched less and less as your career went on, just in terms of what the the coaching regime wanted at the time. So, how how ridiculous were those practices in competitiveness and just amount of like sheer talent and guys making plays out there? I mean, those teams were crazy. How did that translate to the practice field? Man, listen, I came in early early on. I enrolled. In the spring, the spring semester, and I came in and experienced this. That team was special from the jump. I remember we had a scrimmage, and we only stopped practice because because I forgot why to stop practice. But we were doing goal line for about thirty plays, and you probably hear this story. James Wilder has broken ribs, and he would not come out. He would not come out. Just doing goal line for like thirty straight plays. Offense didn't want to give in. Defense didn't want to give in. And that's just the mentality that it was. He had broken ribs. I mean, he had to sit out the rest of the spring. He had broken ribs. He didn't even know it. He was just going off adrenaline. And nobody wanted to come out. And that's that led into fall camp. When we got into fall camp, I thought spring was tough. But fall camp just went up a notch. That's when KB emerged and a lot of other guys emerged. And the practices just took it to a whole new level. I think the biggest thing with that team, that fall camp, honestly, that brought us together. We had a few big brawls that broke out, and you never truly know how those, which direction those would go after, because some guys may be upset that okay, guys are laughing at them. They got somebody got the best of them, but no, nah, it brought it got the best of it got like it brought the entire team together, and usually. You don't expect that. I've been on teams that situations like that would have broke the whole team apart. You got click, clicks up, clicks together, guys pick up. But that brought us together. And at that moment, I think it was one of our second brawls in fall camp. It was a Thursday night practice. We in shells. Had a big brawl break out. And we're like, dang, we don't know how this practice is going to go up there. Everybody's going to continue to fight the rest of the practice. But now nah, it was like that was the best practice like I ever experienced everybody's taking off you got the receivers going off like the intensity like it was like a game 
you would have thought it was Florida State, Miami out there. Like, that's the type of intensity you saw on that field. And every practice from then on was like that. You knew that if you didn't bring your A game, whether it was a one on the field or a two on the field, you were going to get embarrassed. And it's crazy that that's, that situation is what led to what you saw that year. So, uh, Freddie, just to talk about some of those teams, too, as well. When you have that much talent on the roster, just talk about how much – it elevates everybody else to raise their game, even during practice. Yeah, like um, like I said, it's crazy because you can't really relax. You got young guys coming in that are hungry. A lot of schools, you may have guys that come in, they may be talented, but they're scared. We got guys coming in every single year, straight out of high school, that feel like they're that guy that can come in and start. So that's the mindset you got to deal with. You're a senior, and you got to deal with guys like Jalen Ramsey. He's a freshman. He feels like he's that guy. Every single play, he doesn't care what you've done. He's coming out there to lock you down and embarrass you every single play. And that was the mindset across the board. When you look across the board, everybody's mindset. I'm, I know I caught a few guys on my highlight tape, and I'm the fullback. So think your fullback is catching your DB, putting them on the highlight tape, like, like dang man like anybody can get it on this field and that's how our team was and that's why we were able to be successful so long uh, I, i've got to ask you man and obviously i, I don't want you to, to give away all all the the trials of triumph secrets from your from your book obviously i'd encourage everyone to uh to buy a copy i did and i'm, I'm really enjoying as i read through it and kind of get the behind the scenes what what is a is there a, a story i mean you talked about i guess the preseason fight but is there a story or two that stands out from especially either that 2013 team or that 2014 team, just being a part of that run? The 2013 team was special, but that 2014 team, I believe, I don't know, it's just the highs and lows of that season. It was just unreal. Like, 2013, we hit, we hit our, we went on our run and nobody couldn't beat us. But 2014, just, it was us against the world heading into the season. So, we kind of went into that season loving that villain role. Everybody wanted to see us to lose, and just that back and forth when we were down games, just finding ways to win. We found out a lot about ourselves, and I just truly believe that if that team could have put everything together and our minds were in the right place, there was a lot of stuff going on off the field that hindered that team. We could have went back-to-back easily, and it's just about locking in that year, and that's, that's probably the year – I look back on the most, and and I wish we could have did that one differently because I know everybody talks about the 2013 team, but we look at that 2014 team, that team was just as deep, and we, we had a lot coming back. And just looking back at everything, if my mind was in the right place, there's no doubt in my mind we could have had the type of run that we had in 2013 as well. So, uh, Freddie, uh, I spoke with DeAndre Francois recently. I know you saw the article too as well, uh, which people can read on Tallahassee.com. I, I spoke with him and he was telling me about just Jimbo Fisher's team and he felt like the program really hadn't been the same really since he had got hurt um, back in 2017. Just talk about what you've seen really from afar about about the program and what do you think it's going to take to get back to that same kind of level? Yeah, he's he not learned because I know after that injury, we were all looking around at each other that game. He, when he got injured against Alabama, we're like, man, listen, this not going to be good. Because when you talk about DeAndre, that, he was a warrior. He was, you got a guy that, you know, every single week's going to come in there and battle. I remember my junior, was either my junior or senior season, he was taking hits. And he's getting up fighting each and every time. So guys are feeling bad, but at the same time, they're, they're developing a different level of respect for him because he, no matter what he was going through, he was going to come out there and fight for it. So I feel like once he got injured, a lot of guys mentally took themselves to a place. They're like, man, I don't know if we can win without him. And from the outside looking in, us knowing what type of guy he was, we were like, oh, man, I don't know if they got enough to win without this guy. And you just saw a lot of stuff, a lot of issues we seen building up when we were heading out. They just started to spiral out of control. Like when you're winning, it's easy to cover up those issues. But once the losses started coming, Everything was in heightened. All the issues were coming out to the forefront, and it just got out of hand, and it was tough to deal with. It all started with that injury. Yeah, I mean, kind of along those lines, I know you've been someone who's been pretty vocal about 
getting not just fans but former players kind of involved back in the program, both in terms of maybe showing up whenever COVID restrictions are kind of lifted, but also in terms of financially, I mean, maybe becoming boosters. I guess how much have you seen your message, be it with fans, be it with former players, really starting to make an impact, I mean, this offseason as you really led that charge? Um. Yeah, without without a doubt, it's. I've had guys reach out to me and they were like, "Man, listen, I never thought about it that way. I felt like what we did on the field was enough, but you stepping up maybe changed my whole perspective." And we got guys that never gave and are now giving. And I was the same way. I felt like, man, we we paid it all on the field. Why, why should we have to give? And just looking back at the program over the past few years and knowing what it took for us to have success those years that we did have success it's like man listen when you you talk about competing with these top programs like alabama clemson look at the resources that they have to to work with we can't just expect things to get better because we're for the state like i know nobody wants to have that conversation but it, it takes money to run a top program that says top and so i'm not asking anybody to give all your money because i know times are hard but the people that can, listen, if you love your university like you say you do, soon step step up. And that's what I had to call myself out on that. And you always have guys that feel like, man, I paid it all on the field. I don't have to, don't have to do that, which is cool. I don't, have, I don't hold it against them either. It's just anybody, I'm just going to put the message out there. Eventually, it's going to change the hearts of some people. And I was calling out fans as well because I know a lot of people gave up on the program after Jimbo left. And seeing those numbers drop, it was crazy to me especially when these are going to be the same people that come out every single weekend complaining about the team and what we do and don't have, but you're not doing your part. So it was just about me seeing what was taking place and just trying to, trying to figure out a solution. So, um, Freddie, like they, the FSU had a ton of transfers come in recently, and uh, among them was McKenzie Bill. Just talk about how do you think a, a number of transfers who's had success in other programs can – also mesh and help out some of the young talent um, that's already on the roster? From a mental standpoint, first and foremost, it's big. You've got guys coming in. When you have transfers that aren't truly proven, you don't, you don't truly know. But when, it's easy for guys to buy in when they got a guy next to them that already has success at that level. So when he's coaching you up and correct critiquing your game, now you listen to it because this guy's had a, a level of success that you you aim to have. Now you don't take it as hard. So that's that's the biggest thing, first and foremost, and the, comp- the competition aspect. These guys have had that level of success, so they're going to raise the competition of everybody else, and they're going hold to hold them to that standard. So I think that's the biggest thing going in, and it'll be, it'll be I think we'll see signs of it early on. Uh- a thing you hear, at least that I've seems like we've heard a lot about Mackenzie Milton, is kind of just that he's a a winner. And I realize, I mean, QB wins are kind of a stat that some people overrate. I mean, looking at uh, it's it's interesting of comparing that. I guess being a football player at the level you were, do you buy into? I mean, winning being kind of a intangible that some guys have maybe more than other guys. Yeah, without a doubt, like you can look at it as oh. Cause I know people talk about their schedule, but at the same time, that's the mentality they approach the game with. So if we're down 21 to zero in the first quarter, it never creeps into their head that we can't win that game. And you've seen over the past few years when we would be in games, it's like we would find a way to lose them because we had a losing mentality. So having a guy with a winning mentality that's used to winning, I think that that's contagious on guys and Especially when he's had success, personally, like he has great stats, great numbers. So it's not just a guy with the wins and the wins and things of that nature, but he's actually been out there putting up big numbers as well. So you know he's he's not just talking. You got a lot of guys that sitting on the sidelines talking about oh, I'm a winner, but this guy's actually he's contributed to the cause. So he's coming in here, a major contributor at the collegiate level. And he's a leader on your team. I think you can't you can't beat that. So taking these young guys and getting them under your wing, that's that's big for them. Because I know a lot of guys over the past few years, their confidence is shaky. They don't really know what to expect. So having guys in the end like that helps a lot. So uh, speaking, obviously you're a former fullback, and uh, the game has changed some depending on what offense uh, references are and around the country. 
some utilize the fullback more than others. Can you just talk about the importance of a fullback? Because I still think it's a place forward in today's game, even in college or also in the NFL as well. Yeah, the, the fullback short yardage situation, I think it's, it's crucial. You've got to have one, but it's tough because it's hard finding good ones. A lot of people say they want to use fullbacks, but if you don't have a good one, you can't force it because you have a bad fullback and kill your game plan too. So it's tough when you want to implement one. It's it's tough training one up, and a lot of people kind of underestimate how difficult it is to play the position. You think you just think blocking, and it looks easy from the outside looking in, but it took me years to develop my skills as a fullback. When I came in, I did not want to block. I didn't know how to block. I just wanted to catch the ball and run the ball. So it took me years to learn. And I remember my coach, they always bothered me. Like, man, listen, you do not block like you run the ball. Block block like you got the football in your hands. And it just took, took me a while to learn it. So I don't really – I want to see it back in the offense, but I understand how difficult it is to get a good guy in there and, and coach him up. But hopefully we can get some guys in there because those short yardage situations I saw – over the past few years where we I know a fullback would have came in handy. We we need we need one on board. I saw Lundy kinda of working it a little bit last year. He he'd be in the in the gun with a with a wildcat wildcat situation. But I would love to see a guy like that. Seems like Lundy's a great block. I know he's a linebacker, but he looked like a natural back there. You got him you see him chipping up on guys on the way to his, his backer and stuff, so if we can utilize a guy like that, that'll be great for us. Uh, I mean, you obviously—I know you briefly overlapped with uh, a guy in Gabe Neighbors, who uh, what he was kind of—I mean, obviously he went through a lot over his career in terms of coming in to play one position and then obviously not having the fullback anymore and kind of having to move to tight end and find his role there. I guess how could you, what do you say about how excited you are for him and the, the the role he's found? I mean, he contributed in the NFL as a rookie this past year. Yeah, without without a doubt, I think Gabe's gonna have a great career. A lot of people didn't expect it, but I think he's in the perfect system. And Gabe's way more athletic than people give him credit for. So I think he's gonna, especially in that West Coast system, they utilize the the fullbacks. I think he's gonna be able to have a great career. And Gabe, over the years, you've seen him using multiple different ways. So he's a versatile guy. He's been that age back. And early on when he was in Jimbo's system, he was playing the 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 traditional off fullback. And then the next year with Tagger, you see him moving around the offense. So there's a lot of different things that he can do. So what, in your estimation, what do you think it's going to take for, and I know this is a broad answer, what do you think it's going to take for the program to kind of get back to traditional, more winning ways? Uh, I, obviously, I don't. it's not going to happen overnight, but... Uh, just kind of the things from your assessment, what do you think needs to happen for that to happen? I think first and foremost, just really consistent quarterback play. That's that's what's been killing us over the past few years. And our defense, Florida State is known for its defense. If we can get consistent quarterback play, we we, we can make something happen. You saw last year, our offense wasn't horrible. It took a step forward. But we, we just didn't have the consistent quarterback play. Things got a bit better when Jordan Travis came in came in there. And he's able to do a lot of things with his legs. But just having that guy that can absolutely eat up a defense with his arms, take over the game and just break a defense down consistently in the air, that's what that's what we're missing. Jordan Travis can do some things with his with his legs, but I don't think he's there as a passer yet. And on the defensive side it's tough because I haven't seen our defense look like this in a while. And you you got guys that you know can make plays. You've seen them, you've seen them, but they're just not doing it on a consistent basis. So that's, that's the biggest thing. I, if we can have consistent QB play and our defense plays up to the standard of Florida State football, then we can make some noise because you've seen that we got, we got a pretty good stable of backs there. And they, they made a little noise last year. So, just having those two things, that's what wins your ball game. Um, I mean, uh, I guess putting you on the spot a bit, I mean, obviously, I think they're going to benefit a lot from having the normal offseason. We talked about that some earlier. You're seeing the, the recruiting start trending right back in the right direction. I know they're kind of in on some guys from your area. 
why or why not do you think Mike Norvell is the guy that is going to get this turned around? I guess you could you could talk about either one, which kind of side you fall on. I just I don't really get into why a guy is or isn't. I just you gotta you just gotta prove it on the field. Like you like you like you want him to be successful. You like the things that he says. Um, it's just it all comes down to wins and losses in this game. There, there are a lot of coaches you like, but. The bottom line is if they don't get out there and win, it doesn't matter. So um, he's doing a, a great job on the recruiting trail, and it's, it's looking great bringing in some top guys. We just got a, like you said, a guy from Polk County the other day, five-star guy that I know pretty well from, from the area. So it, he's doing his job on the recruiting trail and bringing in some top-notch guys, but it has to translate on the field, and that's all, it, that's all that really matters. So uh, my question to you is just kind of going back to when you were in school and like you were able to beat your rivals like Miami, Florida, uh, Clemson. Uh, just talk about the importance of doing that, um, especially at a school like Florida State as well. It's huge. You can you can you can lose a lot of games you weren't supposed to lose and beat your rivals, and people may forget a little bit. So it, it's it makes a big deal. You see it every year. Miami Miami loses. All these games, they beat Florida State, and Manny's no longer on the hot seat. So it's crazy, but but that's a standard at Miami. But it does take a lot of pressure off you, especially when we haven't done it in a long time. Florida's been dominating us as of late. Miami's demolished us last year and been beating us for the past few years. What's it, four straight, I believe? Or three straight? Miami? Yeah. Uh, first one would have been. I'm trying to think. It was 2017. You're the first year after you. Yeah, 2017 Tallahassee four straight. Yeah. Yeah. See, so that's that's an issue. We gotta we gotta find a way to get one of those games, if not both, because when you play at Florida State and you're losing, and it's not the way the fact that we're losing, it's the fashion that we lost last year. So when you're losing like that. It's an issue, and I think we got to come out this year without a doubt and make a statement against at least one of those guys. Just you, you got you got to get one of those games because Clemson, Miami, Florida. We can't go another year where we're losing to all three of them. I, I think I think I think that 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 answers our stuff. We'll uh, we'll let you go, Freddie. Thank you so much for. Uh taking the time i think providing some really good insight appreciate that you can feel free to plug yourself here at the end talk about your book anything of that sort yeah man if um once once y'all check this out make sure y'all follow me on social media y'all see me y'all see me plugging the book a lot i got a lot of things in the work right now but yeah that's pretty that's pretty much all all for me check out the guys it's all love from this end i appreciate y'all having me on if you get a chance Go check out that book on TrialsTheTriumphBook.com. Y'all be easy. Y'all be safe. And appreciate y'all for listening to it. All right. Thank you, Freddie. Appreciate it, Freddie. All right. No problem. All right. We're back. Uh, thanks, Freddie. We uh, we appreciate you uh, you taking the time talking to us. I thought you provided some uh, some real good insight. I mean, obviously, football's uh, kicking off here soon. We're here Thursday. Tomorrow morning, I think late morning, we're going to catch up with uh, – Mike Norvell and Josh Storms on Zoom talk a little uh, off-season strength and conditioning program, and then they uh, start spring practice next Tuesday, the ninth. I mean, it's a uh, it, it's about to get going again, even though it just started or just ended. It feels like. Yeah, uh, back to um, back to fun, and at least get some um, interviews there. It'd be cool to just talk to Storms and also Norvell and get a little more more insight of what's been going on. Uh, I know we talked the some of the newcomers there early on in the year. But, yeah, I think it's a good time to just reflect and talk to figure out what's been going on and some of the tour duty and also heading into spring practice and uh, learn, try to learn more about these guys and how to develop and within the program too as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited about that. And um, it's definitely going to be a good month to do that. And, uh, and it culminates with the uh, Garden and Gold game coming up in April too as well. So that will be fun to at least get out there and, see what everybody kind of looks like too as well yeah probably bears mentioning i mean uh the the recruiting trail has been pretty kind to uh to florida state of late they uh i mean they've had five-star db 
Travis Hunter Jr. locked up for a while. He committed early and has pretty been pretty adamant. I mean, even though he's now one of the top players in the country uh, and received interest from, I mean, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the LSUs, he's been pretty adamant that he's he's locked in and that that he he's grateful that Florida State got in on him early. And I mean, that's a a uh, a commitment that should it sounds locked in i mean entirely it doesn't sound like there's much that could budget that's a that's a game-changing commitment for florida state and then over the weekend they also added another five-star db sam mccall out of uh out of lakeland and that's i mean he was committed to florida he uh they fired their db coach he was not a fan of that he decommitted and now he is at a Florida State, and as it stands now, Florida State has a, uh, and it's still early, but has a top 10 class for the 2022 cycle. Yeah, I think it was some questions. Uh, I know people are kind of question Mike Norvell and what kind of recruiter he is. He was, or he is, but I think recently he's really changed that narrative, really, because some of the guys that he's gotten there, he's getting that top talent, too. I just think it was just a bad situation with everything going on. Obviously, the first, first year was just tough coming into that situation, and you know, you're trying to salvage a recruiting class and then you end up having the year that you do in three and six. And now you're also, you know, trying to keep these recruits that are already there and trying to recruit new ones and transfers. And, yeah, I think you're setting up in the class looking at 2022, 23. I think it's a lot to be excited about if you're a Florida State fan. I really do because, you know, he's definitely getting the guys that you definitely want to as well, um, adding in that talent. They are also an already young team there as well, and by the time those guys get there, you'll have a veterans there that you hope progress throughout the program, and you hope and you believe it'll be some kind of a good mesh too between some of the young guys that come in that can contribute, and also some of those older players who have been in the program and know Moverville really well and know what he's about and his system and everything like that too as well. And you know whether it pays off in wins and losses, we'll see, but. Yeah, I definitely think um, he's definitely doing a good thing there. And um, definitely should be a lot of excitement heading towards uh, the recruiting season there in 2022 and actually beyond that as well. Yeah, it bears mentioning that there, I mean, players are allowed to come to campus. And for instance, like current members of the team are allowed to escort them into the facilities, but they're not allowed to have any in-person contact with the coaches, both at their own schools or if they visit FSU on their own. I mean, FSU... Uh, Official visits also can't happen, so if they're visiting there, you have to do it on their own dime. But, I mean, it definitely bodes well that while they're still not able to have this in-person contact and, and do those face-to-face meetings and give them tours of the facilities on their own and go visit them at their own schools, the success they're having bodes well. Given, you need this. I'm sure that a lot of these guys, uh, Travis Hunter, uh, it is entirely possible he is locked in regardless of how this season goes. I mean, if Florida State struggles... That would test that. That would be the one thing that I think could maybe change that with Travis. But a guy like Sam McCall, I don't know if he is as locked in. If, if Florida State struggles again, if there's not real signs of progress, I, I wonder if another program couldn't come snipe him. And, and that goes for a, a number of other prominent commits FSU has right now. So, I mean, I thought Mike Norvell was pretty – uh was pretty insightful a few weeks ago talking to the board of trustees where he, he, he said as much, I mean, I, I figured this was the case, but for him to outright say that he doesn't normally want to build through the transfer portal, you supplement through the transfer portal, but I don't think he normally wants to add this many transfers and not just transfers, but grad transfers who like, he's going to look to as immediate impact guys. He says kind of, I did it this year because I knew how important and he didn't come out and say this, but he knows how important this next year is in terms of recruiting momentum in terms of showing the boosters those high level donors that progress is being made i think he realizes i mean not that i think florida state's really in a financial place where they could afford to make a move on a coach in less than two years i don't think mike Norvell's really on a hot seat but you don't want to struggle and test that because willie taggart was gone in less than two years there is a recent example of that happening so i mean it's a he doesn't want to build through the portal long term he wants to build through high school recruiting and said as much to the board of trustees but they they i think it was smart to do that this year and i they might not be done in the portal i think an offensive lineman could still be coming yeah i, I think that was smart this year just considering the circumstances because uh the team team was so young last year and then also some of the holes that you had coming into the year still even recruiting wise and 
to kind of just fill those holes with guys that have experience too as well and you still have a young group returning and you have those older guys who've been established who've played, who played downs in this in college football who had success too as well and also um has been through it and i think is uh that experience is going to be valuable not only to the players but also uh, the coaches too as well and I, I think uh, just kind of that's kind of how you build your program. But yeah, you don't necessarily want to do that, rely on that year in and year out. And I think that that's kind of what he was saying. But also the fact that this is like un, you know unseen times that we've never seen before, and you definitely want to bring in that talent to try to turn this thing around in a hurry. Like yeah, I don't expect that I was before saying to win ten games, and ten or eleven games next year. But at the same time. You definitely want to be able to try to at least get back to respectability and get back to a bowl game and start to get momentum from there. And why not? How the best way to do that is to add a uh, infusion of uh, experienced players who can come in and produce right away, along with developing the young talent that you already have and recruiting high school students as well. So yeah, I definitely think uh, it was a smart move on his part to do it, especially in year two. I feel like it's definitely a a vital year for both him and the program. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a Storyline we'll definitely be keeping an eye on as best we can over spring. I mean, obviously, we won't get kind of the normal spring access. Last year, we were out there for the entirety of the first three practices, and I think would have been out there, I don't know, scrimmages maybe would have been the one exception, but normally I think Norvell would let us watch a whole bunch of practice, which wasn't the case before. So, I mean, it's a, we won't get that, and so that'll change, obviously. We won't be able to have observation-type articles, which is unfor- unfortunate because, I mean, I know how much people enjoy reading those, especially in the spring. I mean, the spring's the time of promise. You know, I, the fall is more the time of reality. The spring is the time of potential and promise when, when you're kind of a, a super fan of a football team. But we'll, we'll have coverage as best we can. Obviously, all our stuff on Tallahassee.com and uh, NoelSports.com. We'll close out. I guess we kind of saved the, uh, I guess you could say, the worst for last. It's uh, <laughs> the Florida State baseball team. I mean, we, we talked this time last week about – Overall, I think the overall first weekend overall being a win, it's hard to sweep. You liked some of what you saw. And then that this weekend was going to be a real test. And, I mean, it, it, if if this weekend was a – last weekend was a test for the Florida State baseball team, I'm not sure they got a uh, a single question right. It's – I mean, they they had lost – in 28 all-time games against Pitt, Florida State had lost twice. They were 26-2. and two. They got swept at home by Pitt. And it's not to take away from Pitt. Pitt, Mike Bell is definitely building something, especially relative to what he took over at Pitt. But Pitt is possibly the worst team on FSU's ACC schedule. I'm not sure they're the worst team in the league, but they're in the conversation. They're they're not expected to contend for the title. I'm not sure I expect them to be an NCAA tournament team. So a pretty bad look with all the circumstances of all that went wrong this past weekend for the Seminoles. Yeah, I, I saw the game on Saturday, and um, I know they were coming off the, the, the um, shutout loss on Friday night, and it just looked like Pitt just had the energy. Sometimes you just you look at uh, a team and you just see just a, life, a team that has life and just had energy, and it just seemed like that's what it was for Pitt, too. And uh, that that third inning uh, where they scored a bunch of runs too, ended up winning, winning uh, pretty comfortably too that night of seven two. I, I just saw a team that just just really had the energy there and they pitched well and uh, didn't make mistakes and that's kind of what I'm seeing with Florida State right now. Uh, defensively, I think they're making a lot of errors, a lot of mental mistakes, they're swinging at pitches that they shouldn't be. Uh, I still know it's early in the season too, and people are uh, the batters are still trying to find their way and their, and the swing and everything like that but to have that many strikeouts in a weekend I just, I just think is that, that's definitely not a winning success for anybody um, I mean you gotta at some point you have you gotta put the uh, bat on the ball and that's something they hadn't been able to do consistently this year and, and in big moments they've been they hadn't been able to do it and I think that's really been the, the big story of the season too uh, yeah, I know I actually asked, asked me about that He's he's not he's more worried about the strikeouts right now than the pitching. He knows the pitching is going to eventually come and get better, but the strikeouts are definitely alarming, and especially the amount of strikeouts early in the season. That's really uh, surprising and really like scary, alarming for me, especially when you're going into definitely more your ACC schedule and the opponents that you're playing later on in the season. Yeah, I mean it's a. Uh, you, you talked about the the struggles of maybe chasing pitches. 
And that wasn't a, somewhat of a problem. I think a huge problem, too, that something Mike, Mike Martin Jr. has really driven home and tried to make a point to his team is they need to attack early in the counts, and that you didn't really see that. They took a lot of pitches they shouldn't have taken. He wants an aggressive mindset at the plate, and it wasn't the case. I mean, it, that was somewhat his dad, Mike Martin Sr.'s mindset, was play, patient approach, work walks. And Mike Martin Jr., it says... If they're not giving you good stuff, if you don't like what they're giving you pitch-wise, take. Work walks. Yes. But he also says, if they're giving stuff you like early in the count, take it. Swing. That was not Florida State's approach. He seemed kind of shell-shocked with with how bad the the approach was at the plate. I mean, you look at, to put it in perspective, over the weekend, over the three-game series against Pitt. Florida State, they struck out 47 times. They were 2 for 30 with runners on with runners in scoring position. Two for 30. I mean, that's... It's... It, it, the situational hitting was rough. They thir- they stranded... I mean, those two are connected. These two are. They're two for 30 runners on base. They stranded 37 guys on base. I mean, you're not going to beat anybody that way. And, yeah, and yeah. this no, team's not going to... This team's not going to, by any means, go winless in ACC play. Like, that doesn't happen. I'm sure they will be better at some point than they were this weekend. Because baseball, probably more than any other sport, is going to be in ups and downs or roller coasters and things like that. But it doesn't get any easier for here. And it was a pretty uninspiring opening series in a chance where I would think you had a chance against one of the weaker opponents on your schedule to get off to a at least somewhat strong start. Yeah, I mean, you got you got Virginia coming up. Um, I know you got a midweek game against USF coming up, and uh, you got to you go on the road finally after starting at home. Um, so many games you got to go to Virginia Tech, and you got a game sandwich between Florida, but and then you could go to Miami. So it's it's tough sledding. Like they're gonna have to uh, turn it around and turn it around in a hurry, uh, especially when you have this many games at home uh, in such a short span. Uh, I definitely think it's very vital and key that they, they salvage some kind of, of serious win against Virginia. I know it's going to be tough. The Cavaliers traditionally have a really good baseball team, but I, I think with the way you got swept last week uh, and you weren't able to get that game in against Mercer on Tuesday, I, I think that's kind of where you are right now. You kind of Your bat's kind of against the wall. You definitely want to have some kind of success before you end up going on the road um, in the next few weeks. Yeah, and that was tough. I mean, Mike Martin Jr. said – he talked about Sunday, how excited are you to have a midweek game this week, a pretty quick turnaround, not have to dwell on this. And he was like, I wish we could play tomorrow. And then the weather hit, and the Mercer game was postponed. And they had to now, they've had to dwell on the uh, the pit series now for the better part of a week. And they finally, tomorrow, get to return to action. But it won't be easy. I mean, Virginia dropped two or three games to North Carolina. But they, I mean, they were, a, I think, top... 10 top 15 type team to start the year. I mean, they're well regarded too. And I, if you look like you did against Pitt against Virginia, I just, I don't see you winning a game. I think you could potentially be 0 and 6 in ACC play. And I mean, talk about being behind the eight ball in terms of making the NCAA tournament and plenty of other things. I mean, that would be a real pickle. I mean, starting with six ACC games and losing all of them. So I we'll, we'll see. I mean, yeah, at home as well. So, yep. yeah, that catastrophic. Yep, it would. And, I mean, we'll see. I, 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 the pitching can be better. The pitching was hasn't been the biggest concern. Carson Montgomery was, did not look great Saturday, and I can't say I blame Meat for having the, uh, the short hook for him and pulling him in the second inning with how bad his control issues were. Parker Messick looked more like himself. Connor Grady grinded out a decent outing after a rough first inning, but... We'll see. I mean, it's a uh, this weekend's telling. I mean, th- this weekend I think we'll say a lot about this team's fight and how 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 they respond to adversity because they're facing plenty of it early in the year. And and so far, I mean, it's 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 been rough sledding. Yeah, I, and like I say, I, you, you can lose the series and that's fine. Like I didn't like once they lost the game on Friday. I was like, okay, they may lose the series, but you at least want to get one game. But they get swept by Pitt and then. Then you, like I say, you have Virginia coming in, who's uh, on paper a much better team, and yeah, now you're now you're trying to find that win, and yeah, you you can't afford to go oh it sits in ACC play to start out with, especially on at home. So yeah, you're gonna have to find a way to sell, like sell it. I, I 
you want to get two out of three. That's really what it boils down to. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be easy, but that's kind of where they are right now. And yeah, you definitely want to get some kind of. You got four games um, left on this home state. Well, really, yeah, you got three against Virginia, one against USF um, on next Tuesday. You at least need to get two of those, two out of four. That's yeah. kind of the way to see it. See it. If you don't get that, then it's before going on the road against Virginia Tech. It's this thing can spiral and be a snowball effect and get out of control pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I remember the team two two years ago where FSU. I mean. They dropped the opening game of the Pitt series, uh, ten to nothing, and came back to win that series. They uh, lost the series at home to Boston College, but even then they weren't swept. I mean, it, it shades of that, and that team looked dead to rights, and that team rallied and made the NCAA tournament against plenty of odds, and made a run to Omaha against a lot of odds, and it was a really special final season for Mike Martin Senior. We'll see, I guess, how this goes. I mean, there you've seen pretty improbable bounce backs and responses, but I mean, you couldn't have asked for a a much worse start to the season for uh, Florida State. We'll uh, we'll have plenty of uh, coverage out there this weekend from Dick Hauser Stadium. We'll have coverage remote, of course. We won't be in South Bend of the uh, home finale or the the regular season finale for the men's basketball team at Notre Dame. Uh, the FSU women's basketball team I know kicks off the NCAA tournament tomorrow. Antoine, if you want to touch on them a little and I guess where they're at in terms of. Uh, bracketology and things of that sort kind of now with March NCAA tournament right around the corner for them as well? Well, yeah, they have a uh, double by two as well to come into the fourth seed. And we're talking about a team that's end up having a COVID pause. We have a head coach that's never coached anything. I like, been a head coach anywhere before in Brooke Wyckoff, taking over for uh, Coach Sue. Uh, they end up playing 16 games all year. And, 15 of those games, 15 games, they don't have 15 games either postponed or canceled throughout the course of the season. And it's not even mentioning the fact that they end up having, they end up playing seven games with a roster with, of eight players or nine uh, throughout the course of a season. So it's it's been a remarkable just to get here at this point. And the win over Louisville pretty much uh, pretty much clinched them a spot in the NCAA tournament. They're about they're about an eight or nine seed for the last I checked from. Uh, Charlie Cream, who's the bracketology in the women's department, but yeah, that's that's about where they're going to stand. Uh, you get another win over Syracuse, assuming that they beat Syracuse. I, I assume that's probably going to be the case. Uh, Syracuse plays Boston College later on today. Uh, assuming that to be the case, I think that would be a good quality win for them, and that would definitely put potentially um, up their seat a little bit in the tournament. But yeah, everything looks like they're going to everything looks like they're going to be in the tournament too as well um, throughout the course of a lot of circumstances and a lot of adversities they had to face throughout the course of the year yeah it's uh i mean it'll be worth keeping an eye on this week uh i mean plenty of other uh, fsu sports coverage as well on tallahassee.com on goalsports.com our, our staff does great work there across the board plenty of news coverage as well not not our forte but i know state senate's happening and they do great work on that if you're a florida resident and that pertains to you um we encourage you to uh subscribe to the paper i think we're still running a very good offer of i want to say a dollar for three months of unlimited digital access and i mean i can't speak enough to how much more than a dollar i think three months of our content is worth so i would encourage you to uh subscribe there and follow us on uh, social media uh, i'm at kurt c-u-r-t-m weiler w-e-i-l-e-r antoine you are at antoine staley Yes, sir. Antoine Staley at Twitter, on Twitter, A N T W A N S T A L E Y. You can find me there. Thanks for uh, listening. We encourage you to uh, subscribe to the uh, the podcast. We'll have plenty of great stuff. I'm sure as football kicks off and adds to a a really busy time, and so we uh, we appreciate you for listening. Talk to you next time.